Hey, everybody. It's the 30-something movie podcast. Very special episode. First of all, Merry Christmas. It is Christmas Day, and this is your special Christmas gift for you. Uh, we didn't announce that this one was coming out. Actually, we did kind of announce that there was a special episode coming out. We didn't say what it was going to be. It's this one. It is Batman the Animated Series and X-Men the Animated Series, both from 1992, both 30 years old as of this year. Um, I wanted to be able to take some time and talk about each of those. These were, were massive parts of my viewing schedule when I was a kid and um, still years later. I mean, I, if these come on, I will watch them. I have watched through the entire uh, run of Batman the Animated Series at least a couple of times since having watched these as a kid. Um, one of my absolute favorite cartoons of all times and, and one of my favorite portrayals of Batman of all time as well. So uh, we'll get on into this one. It's just me this time. This is a very special one. I even was going to make it a, a special one for the other guys and didn't really tell them too much about it. So so you've got me this time, your host, John Reed. And uh, yeah, so I'm going to go through. Um, this won't necessarily be a, a long episode, but I just wanted to go through and just talk quickly about, you know, some of the uh, some of my favorite episodes of the Batman the Animated Series and the X-Men Animated Series in particular. Uh, a couple things really, really quickly that I do want to talk about are the music. Um, I always thought that, uh, I mean, they used the uh, they used the theme from the Tim Burton Batman movie uh, with a few changes here and there, but uh, Shirley Walker was the composer of this particular version of the Batman theme, and it's awesome. Awesome. Those opening credits, uh, the opening scenes uh, of each episode is just, you get the kind of the, the noir feel of everything, the, the color tone of what this cartoon is going to be like. Um, one thing I loved about this, the music, the visuals, I loved how this cartoon, the Batman the Animated Series, never, you can't really place it in any particular time. Like, this is a Gotham City that looks like it's in the 40s, sometimes has modern weapons and technology. The cars look like they're from the 40s, uh, 30s or 40s. Um, there's Zeppelins in the city. I mean, so it's it's a Gotham City that kind of exists outside of time. And and I love, I love the look and feel. This is probably my favorite Gotham City um, out of anything, out of any of the comics. Um, so I absolutely love this cartoon and the look and feel of all this. I have said before, and if anybody who does anything with animation or works in Hollywood is listening to this, um, please, 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 please take the uh, t take Paul Dini, Bruce, Tim, get them together, and please make them do a Rocketeer animated series in this style. I've said this before. I would love to see it. I think this is the perfect style to do a Rocketeer animated series, and being a huge Rocketeer fan, I, I would I would beg and plead for that. Um, I think it would be amazing. I think it fits so well. And actually, I think some of my favorite episodes of the Batman animated series um, already kind of lend themselves to arguing for that, that this would be a great way to do uh, Rocketeer and, and bring that back. All right. So a couple things real quick. Before we get on into, uh, you know, we're going to talk Batman, we're going to talk X-Men, the animated series as well. Very quickly, 92. So this is, our, we're, we're finishing up 1992 this week. It's our last week of episodes. We've got Muppet Christmas Carol that's coming out in just a few days. Um, 
But one of the things about 92, and I, and I wanted to be able to touch on some of these things, but we just, you know, with, with other episodes and everything else, we kind of ran out of time. But I wanted to touch on this. 92 was such an amazing time to be a comic book fan. This year in particular, there are so many things that happened in 1992. And this is when I started collecting comics. You know, we were living in England at the time. Um, and I remember my dad went back to the States. I hadn't really collected comic books. Of course, I would buy a comic book here and there, or if a comic book was, was bought for me, sure, I had them, but I didn't take care of them. You know, I, they were in boxes somewhere, or I threw them on a shelf somewhere. You know, I didn't really spend a whole lot of time taking care of them. Wasn't in, wasn't invested in the stories. You know, I knew I, Superman. I always loved Superman. Always loved Batman. But I knew them primarily from the movies, from the old TV shows, uh, the cartoons, the action figures that I used to have. So I, it was not something, I didn't follow the comic book storylines. My dad came back from a trip to the States and brought with him two issues of uh, DC Comics. One was Batman 499, and one was Superman number 81. And with both of those, I, I was opened up to a whole new world of comic book storylines. Um, I saw a Batman that had a very different, uh, very different look to him. He had these mechanical gloves um, that would, would shoot like little ninja throwing stars that were the shape of uh, the bat symbol out of them. He was much rougher, much more brutal. And come to find out, he wasn't even Bruce Wayne anymore. That Bruce Wayne's back had been broken, and this was a completely new Batman. So I was already intrigued. I was like, oh, that's cool. Let's see where this goes. And my next issue, episode, uh, issue number, episode, uh, issue number 500 is when Jean-Paul Valley, who was Batman at the time, created a f- fully realized, brand new, almost mechanized bat suit. And at that point, I was like, whoa. <laughs> and this, bil- this villain of Bane, I didn't know who he was yet, um, but he seemed ridiculous. And I, I read that he had broken Bruce Wayne's back. I'm like, I got to find out more about this. So that was when I started seeking out more Batman comics because I just, I was hooked. Simultaneously, I get Superman number 81. Superman has long hair, a black and silver suit, and he has no powers. And there are other super people. There's a Superboy. There's a Man of Steel. There's an Eradicator. There's a Cyborg. Uh, Green Lantern's home city has been completely destroyed. Coast City is completely destroyed. I didn't know what any of this stuff was. I knew who these characters were for the most part. I don't know who they were. But seeing a Superman, no cape, black and silver suit, long hair, I'm like, what is going on here? And then I start to find out, well, Superman died, and he came back. And I remember vaguely hearing in the news, like, I was like, man, they're going to kill Superman? That's crazy. And then seeing this comic, wait, he's back? How did he come back? Then I was hooked. I had to find out more about how he came back. So just even, I I wanted to just go very quickly. Those are two of the major storylines that, you know, I picked up on as I started collecting comics in earnest in 1992. So the death of Superman storyline, obviously that happened. That was probably the most publicized and well-known comic book event from 1992. But let me share a few others with you that you might have heard of. Um, Nightfall was the other one I was talking about. That's where... Uh, he was a character known as Azrael, and he 
ended up taking over as Batman. Jean Paul Valley was his name after Bane breaks Batman's back. Uh, he takes over as Batman and starts to become a more uh, brutal Batman, and and uh, he's he's got some of his own uh, demons that he's having to deal with. Um, major storyline for Batman. Uh, and then a few others. Uh, one you might have heard about, there was a series of movies that tied back into this one on the Marvel side of things. Uh, there was a story called The Infinity War. That was a big crossover event that brought characters from across the Marvel Universe um, to deal with this Infinity Gauntlet. Uh, there were many epic battles and, and plot twists and, and things like that um, and was, was a huge storyline for Marvel. I wasn't really reading Marvel as much at this time, uh, mostly X-Men, so I really didn't read the Infinity War stories at the time. Speaking of the X-Men, the Executioner song, that was a big story that was going through X-Men at the time. It was a crossover between X-Men, X-Factor, New Mutants, it revolved around uh, Apocalypse, one of the biggest and baddest X-Men uh, villains around, and the return of Cable, uh, who was a time-traveling... Uh, he was really popular at that point in time. Uh, he has the, the silver arm, much like the Winter Soldier. Um, and uh, he was very popular, and he was featured heavily in that story as well. So I started to pick up a little bit on that. That got me interested in the X-Men and kind of continued from there. And then another one that was big at the time, although I didn't come to it until maybe a couple of years later uh, was the Deathmate crossover. Uh, there was Valiant Comics and Image Comics and they had a big crossover um, and it had uh, you know, it was um, a lot of their characters were kind of mixed together in that and I think that was one of the places where you got introduced to the team of um, Gen 13 which got to be kind of in the early to mid 90s was, was a really popular comic at the time and uh, I remember following that one pretty closely too. Like, especially when we moved to California for a few months, I thought, wow, these characters are from California. I live in California now. This is cool. And so uh, that was one that I kind of got started on just a, a couple years later. Didn't actually come to it in 92, but it was one of the big events that was happening at that point in time. Uh, it also had like all the different uh, uh, foil covers. I think there was Deathmate Black, Deathmate Blue. They were all different, like shiny uh, silver foil covers. So, so that's what's going on in the world of comics in 1992, uh, but pivoting to these two animated series, first of all, let's talk Batman the Animated Series. Um, so I have narrowed this down. I mean, first of all, you have to go check this out. If you have not watched Batman the Animated Series and you are a fan of Batman, I, I don't know what happened to you, um, but you really need to go watch these episodes. Obviously, some a little bit better than others, but I think overall... Again, like I said, one of my favorite, uh, Kevin Conroy is probably one of my favorite portrayals as Batman. It's one of my favorite portrayals, if not my favorite portrayal, of Gotham City itself. Um, and a lot of just amazing characters in this. Mark Hamill showing up regularly as the Joker. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Um, let's see. I'm going to work backwards in here. I'm going to work backwards from this one. So I have, I've picked out kind of my top five, and I think I'm actually going to treat these uh, ranked in this order. So, um, all right. So number five is an episode called almost got him. It came out on November 10th, 1992, written by Paul Dini, directed by Eric Radomsky. Uh, Kevin Conroy is Batman, Bruce Wayne, Adrian Barbeau as Catwoman, Mark Hamill as the Joker, Aaron Kincaid as Killer Croc, Richard Mull as Two-Face, Diane Pershing as Poison Ivy, Arlene Sorkin 
as Harley Quinn and Paul Williams as the Penguin. In this episode, a group of Batman's villains gather at the bar to play cards and tell stories about the times they almost caught Batman. Um, each of the villains tells a different story, ranging from Poison Ivy uh, trying to turn Batman into a plant, um, Joker's attempt on his life in the end. It's revealed that Batman was secretly listening to these stories um, and uh, playing cards with them in the bar, or he was there in the bar with them. Uses all this information to pretty much uh, take down all of them at the same time. So really enjoyed this one. It's just a fun, um, you know, it's it's a quick little little vignettes from each of the characters, like the times they almost got Batman. Um, and it was just funny to see, like, all the villains sitting around a table just commiserating about all the ways in which they, they didn't quite get him, but it, they were so close. So close. All right. Uh, number four is Two-Face, and this was actually a two-parter. Uh, part one came out on September 25th of 92, and part two came out on the 28th of September. Story by Alan Burnett, teleplay by, teleplay by Randy Rogel, uh, directed by Kevin Altieri. Again, Kevin Conroy as Batman Bruce Wayne, Bob Hastings as Commissioner Gordon, Richard Mull as Harvey Dent, Big Bad Harv and Two-Face, uh, Murphy Cross as Grace, uh, let's see, Mary Devon as Summer Gleason, Bob Doquie as the Doctor, Matt Landers as Frankie, Diane Michelle as Candace, Linda Gary as Dr. Nora Crest, uh, Mark Tubert as Carlos, and John Vernon as Rupert Thorne. So this is the origin story of Two-Face. So we find out that... Um, there is, uh, so Harvey Dent is the district attorney and a friend of Bruce Wayne, and uh, there's there's definitely some psychological stuff going on way before he becomes Two-Face with the actual physical Two-Faces, um, and there's that whole backstory of how he's got this uh, suppressed personality called Big Bad Harv, and as that starts to come out and he's dealing with Big Bad Harv being um, an influence on him that he is actually physically scarred in the episodes. And, uh, this is one that, um, in the, in the scene where he is physically scarred and there's the explosion and it, it blows, I think it was acid or chemicals into his face. There's a scene where Batman comes up to him and I think kind of turns him over. And, uh, just uh, the way Kevin Conroy says it, he's like, Harvey, no, I, my siblings and I, for years after that, if, so, <laughs> if something, bad or terrible were to happen, but not so bad that we couldn't laugh at it. That was usually one of the ways that we would respond to something. We were like, if something bad happened, but it was still enough that we could kind of joke about it and laugh about it, we'd be like, Harvey, no. So that kind of became part of our, uh, part of the vernacular of our family was to repeat that. Um, but love this take on the backstory of Two-Face. Um, you know, obviously we get... We get some of these characters in the Batman movies, and I don't ever want to say that I think that Batman Forever did a great job with the characters of Two-Face and the Riddler. Um, it is an entertaining movie, much in the same way um, eating way too much pixie sticks can be entertaining, is I'm definitely going to vomit afterwards, but it's kind of fun maybe at the time. Um, but you know you're going to pay for it later, so... Um, no, this, I love the way that they did the origin of Two-Face. Uh, John Vernon as Rupert Thorne. Rupert Thorne comes back several times in this animated series as a villain and an organized, uh, organized crime figure. Um, and so that's, that's, you know, it's just, it's so much fun to see some of these recurring characters, but then to see 
Um, you know, Richard Mall is Harvey Dent, Big Bad Harv, Two-Face, just how his character progresses from the district attorney to he's he's already battling some demons. He's having some struggles even before he is physically scarred. Um, and then to kind of go from there and then developing the whole personality of having to flip the coin uh, to be able to make decisions. So really enjoy the Two-Face episodes. Another two-parter, number three for me, is Feet of Clay, F-E-A-T of Clay. And this one came out on September 8th and 9th of 1992. Teleplay by Marv Wolfman, who did part one. Michael Reeves, who did part two. Story by Marv Wolfman and Michael Reeves. Directed by Dick Sebast, who did part one. And Kevin Altieri, who did part two. Again, Kevin Conroy is Batman Bruce Wayne. Efren Zimbalist Jr. is Alfred Pennyworth. Ed Asner as Roland Daggett. Ed Bagley Jr. as Germs. Uh, Mary Devon as Summer Gleason. Dick Gautier as Teddy. Ron Perlman as Matt Hagen and Clayface. Brock Peters as Lucius Fox. And Scott Valentine as Bell. Um, so we have in this one, uh, this is a it's an actor who is not quite at the top of his game anymore. Um, he had to, he started to revert, or he started to have to rely on um, this uh, Daggett Laboratories. And Daggett is a character that we'll see come back several times in this series. And I want to say uh, Daggett is used, I feel like there's there's somebody named Daggett in The Dark Knight Rises. I'm going to forget which you know, which character it is, but there is a Daggett in Dark Knight Rises. Um, one of the rumors that I remember hearing, but I believe had been uh, debunked uh, not too long ago, or at some point, you know, since the airing of these shows, was that originally the character of Daggett, who was running uh, this company and had some of these, you know, questionable laboratories uh, around Gotham City, was originally supposed to be uh, Max Shrek from the Batman Returns movie, um, you know, Christopher Walken's character. Uh, so apparently that's not true, but I had always heard that uh, from somewhere, and I was like, all right, that's kind of cool. Like, that would be cool to kind of tie in that character and and uh, you know, have them show up in that way, even though they don't quite make it out of Batman Returns. But um, so basically, what happens is this actor, in order to um, continue, uh, you know, he is um, he is disfigured, and, and in order to continue, he's using this cream from Daggett Laboratories to uh, you know try to get himself looking back the way he used to. And uh, he kind of gets an overdose of this stuff, and he basically has become this, like, living pile of clay uh, that he can ultimately then, I mean, he looks like a monster, and he can't really, I don't think he's really able to hold his shape very well for long periods of time, but he can basically make himself look like any other person he wants, um, which I always thought was was kind of a fun villain for Batman. Um that he has, you know, this guy is an actor and he can play any role. And that seemed to be, you know, you go to the, uh, the Ra's al Ghul quote from the movies about theater, theater, let's try talking, uh, theatricality. And that I think is a great uh, foil for Batman to have this character who can play anyone. Um, and of course then for the detective has got to figure out uh, who exactly he is, but, um, Always loved the character of Clayface. This is a great... That was one of the things that this show did really well was the origin stories for these characters. Um, you know, if you had not read at that point, I didn't know who Clayface was when I was watching this cartoon. I had not learned about him from the comics. Um, so a lot of my origin stories that I got for 
Two-Face, for Clayface, for uh, Man-Bat, for some of these different characters, I got from this cartoon. Even though I had watched, you know, the old 66 Batman TV series, I'd watched the the movies that had come out up to that point. Um, but until I really got into the comics, this was my first uh, exposure to the origin stories of a lot of these characters, and done so well. There is so much good uh, that has come from this animated series. And like I said, if you have not seen it, you have to go see it. If you have not seen it in a few years, go back and rewatch it. It is definitely worth the rewatch. Um, and the great thing is if you've got kids, then it's a, um, you know, it's definitely a cartoon that can be enjoyed by everyone. Like sometimes we talk about, you know, different animated series like, uh, you know, star, some of the Star Wars stuff, Clone Wars. Clone Wars can get a little heavy as it gets on into some of the later seasons. This one can too. Like it's still very much a kid's cartoon. Um, I don't think they'll ever say that anyone died. They'll never use the word death, I don't believe, uh, or died or killed or anything like that. But, um, you know, it definitely is some of the stuff that it deals with can be weighty enough to be enjoyed by the adults, but also simple enough to be enjoyed by kids. So it's definitely one that you could watch, you know, with your kids if you've got them uh, or by yourself. You don't, you don't need to have kids or you don't need to have stolen anybody's kids uh, to be able to watch this. You can go ahead and watch it whenever you want to. All right. Uh, number two, my second favorite episode of Batman the Animated Series is called Joker's Favor from September 11th, 1992, written by Paul Dini, directed by Boyd Kirkland, Kevin Conroy again as Batman, Bob Hastings as Commissioner Gordon, uh, Robert Costanzo as Detective Harvey Bullock, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. as Alfred Pennyworth, uh, Ed Begley Jr. as Charlie Collins slash Don Wallace, Mark Hamill as the Joker, and Arlene Sorkin as Harley Quinn. So in this episode, the Joker forces a mild-mannered man named Charlie Collins to do a favor for him. Um, basically, he uh, he's in his getaway car driving away, nearly runs Charlie off the road. Charlie kind of curses him out. A little bit of road rage going on there. Uh, Joker c- causes him to pull over and basically says, all right, look, pal, you, you, you done messed up, A-A-Ron. Um, I now know who you are. I am going to ask you for a favor someday, and uh, you won't know when it's going to be, but when I call on you, you better answer. Otherwise, um, I'm, I'm probably going to take out your family, and they're going to suffer. So years later, Joker finally calls in the favor and tells Charlie, I need you to hold the door open. Easy enough. Uh, so Charlie goes. He holds the door open for Harley Quinn, who will wheel in a cake. Charlie finds that his hand is glued to the door handle. Joker jumps out of the cake, sticks a bomb to Commissioner Gordon's chest, and the plan is to you know blow up Commissioner Gordon. Um, Charlie is able to get a warning out that Batman is able to see, Bruce Wayne is able to see, uh, comes to the rescue, helps Charlie get his hand off the door handle, saves Commissioner Gordon, and in the commotion, Joker escapes, but Charlie finds him in the alleyway behind the building. Uh, he, this is one of the things I love about this episode is even as a kid, I knew who the Joker was from the old TV show, from comics, from cartoons. I knew who the Joker was. I knew who the Joker was from 89 Batman. Um, to see a random person who just got pushed too far, uh, he then punches Joker and actually threatens to commit suicide, a murder-suicide, and blow him up with himself uh, with one of his own Joker bombs unless he leaves Charlie and his family alone. Um, one of the things I love about this episode is that at the very end, the joke is on the Joker. The bomb is a fake. And Batman laughs and basically tells Charlie, I got this. 
go ahead and go home. Uh, love this one. I absolutely love the story. I love the way it ends. Um, it is it is such a great little episode. Uh, one of the other things too. Uh, this was the first produced episode. Um, the, oh, actually, the first produced episode featuring the Joker was the episode Christmas with the Joker, but this was the first one that was aired. So this one came out first, so this is the first time in the cartoon that people would have been introduced to the Joker. This is also uh, the first appearance anywhere of Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn was a character that was created for this show. She did not exist before the animated series, and of course now she is one of the most iconic Batman characters that exists. So uh, this is her first episode. It's a great one with her as well. Um, there's a little bit of a look where she uh, is, I think she's driving a car for Joker, and she looks a little bit like, um, what is Lex Luthor's chauffeur's name in the cartoons? Uh, is it Mercy? I think it might be Mercy, Mercy Graves or something like that. Um, but yes, uh, so there's a similar look that gets reused in the Superman animated series. But I love this episode. You know, Mark Hamill is awesome in it, and just the twist at the end is it makes it so good. All right, number one episode. This is my absolute favorite episode of Batman the Animated Series, and also a reason why I think this would be perfect because of the look and feel and the time period, everything else to do a, a Rocketeer animated series in this style. My favorite episode is Beware the Grey Ghost from November 4th, 1992. Teleplay by Garen Wolf and Tom Ruger. Story by Dennis O'Flaherty and Tom Ruger. Directed by Boyd Kirkland. Kevin Conroy as Batman. Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. as Alfred. Bob Hastings as Commissioner Gordon. Mary Devon as Summer Gleason. Joe Leahy as the narrator. Bruce Timm as the Mad Bomber. And Adam West as the Grey Ghost slash Simon Trent. So we find out that Batman is a big fan of the Grey Ghost, a superhero from a TV show he used to watch as a kid. Um, then a series of bombings occur in Gotham City, and Batman realizes that the attacks are being timed to correspond with episodes of the Grey Ghost TV show. Uh, he sets out to track down the actor who played the Grey Ghost, Simon Trent, hoping he can provide some clues about the bombings. Trent, however, is now an out-of-work actor and is initially resistant to helping Batman, but eventually... He agrees to help him out, and the two work together to uncover the identity of the bomber, who turns out to be a disgruntled former special effects artist. Um, I love this one because I love the fact that there's this little backstory that Batman, Bruce Wayne, as a kid, watched superhero shows. And the kind of superhero show he watched would have absolutely influenced what he would have become as Batman. Now, as a kid, I did not realize. I used to watch the the... 60s Batman show all the time, all the time. As a kid, I had no clue, did not realize that the character of the Grey Ghost was being voiced by Adam West. No idea. Didn't find that out until many years later, and it makes me enjoy this episode even more. Like, knowing that Adam West is the voice of the Grey Ghost, Simon Trent just is, I think, is awesome. And uh, I believe I had read somewhere that when they were uh, writing this episode... The creators basically said, uh, you know, Paul Dini, Bruce Tim, basically said, look, um, we have this episode in mind. It's about a character called the Grey Ghost. If we cannot get Adam West, we will not do this episode. Like They absolutely had him in mind for that, and they were a little bit worried that, and because he got typecast after playing Batman, that he wouldn't be interested in doing this. Um, but on the contrary, he was excited to do it, and they were able to move ahead. And I'm so glad that they did, because it is my favorite episode. The look, the feel, the uh, 
the detective work that Batman does. That's one of the other things this show does really well is a lot of times in the movies, they don't have the time or, or they don't take the time to really show you show Batman doing actual detective work. And I feel like in the comics sometimes, sometimes they do a nice job of that. Sometimes they don't at all. And I feel like this is a, you know, this episode and several others within the, the cartoon world of the animated series, Batman's actually doing detective work. And I, I love this one. This is my absolute favorite. Number one, uh, to steal a phrase from our buddies, uh, Spike in the football, it is Beware the Grey Ghost from November of 92. All right. So that is Batman the Animated Series. Uh, I'm going to go maybe a little bit quicker through this because I, I love the X-Men Animated Series, but I, I was so much of a Batman Animated Series fan. And when they had the spinoff of the Superman Animated Series, yes, please, more. Uh, and then Justice League later on, and I just... Yes, I loved all of the animated series that were coming out at about this time. Uh, very quickly, my I'll give you my top three, and I'll give a quick runner-up uh, for the X-Men animated series. Night of the Sentinels is the first episode, uh, and the X-Men have to confront the Sentinels, these giant robots that have been programmed to hunt and capture mutants. Uh, Jubilee is introduced. She's a young mutant with the ability to generate powerful energy blasts. She's captured. The X-Men have to rescue her and stop the robots from hunting mutants down. One of the surprises in this is that one of the X-Men characters supposedly dies. You find out later that he did not, but as a kid, I was like, whoa. I thought we only killed Optimus Prime, uh, and uh, somebody died. I'm, I'm going to blank out on who, but I feel like somebody died in the G.I. Joe movie that came out in the 80s, too. Um, but when a character, when a main character that's introduced, dies in the first episode of this cartoon series. I'm like, are you kidding me? This is, in, this is insane. You know, like, you don't do that in a cartoon. Um, but I loved this. I mean, I loved, I was just kind of starting to get into the X-Men and the X-Men comics. Loved Wolverine as a character. Loved Cyclops. Uh, of course, I loved playing the, you know, X-Men arcade game. Um, but yes, Night of the Sentinels. And actually, I feel like, Night of the Sentinels, I, I feel like I might have gotten a, a copy of this first episode. Was there a giveaway? I feel like there was a giveaway through like Pizza Hut or something like that where you could get a copy of the, a VHS copy of the first episode of this from somewhere. Somebody can correct me on this if I'm wrong about it, but I feel like there was something to do with Pizza Hut and giving away a copy of it. I, I am, I'm going to blank out, but... Uh, as I have said before, I kind of blame Pizza Hut uh, and the Book It program and things like that on uh, on my childhood obesity. Um, and so this could just be one other indicator as to why I have them to blame because they always had really awesome, awesome giveaways that they would do. So, um, And if it wasn't Pizza Hut, I apologize and kudos to whoever it was that was giving it away. But somehow I got a free copy of the VHS of this first episode. I don't remember where, but uh, we'll just, uh, we'll go with that. All right, another one. Days of Future Past. I have told people before on this show, I am a sucker for an alternate history or a time travel story. Love me some time travel. So that's why two of the episodes in here, um, you know, two of my top three plus the one, uh, the other one that's the time travel is my uh, honorable mention deal. Um, is uh, it deals with time travel. In this episode, Days of the Future Past, Days of Future Past, 
Uh, the X-Men are transported to a bleak future in which mutants are hunted and killed by Sentinels. The team has to work together to prevent this future from coming to pass by changing the events of the past. Um, and so this is one where I, if there was also a movie, Days of Future Past, that was done as part of the new round of uh, like the X-Men first class sequels um, with Jennifer Lawrence and James McAvoy and those. Um, I thought the movie was fine. Uh, it was fine. But, um, you know, definitely the Days of Future Past, I love seeing that as the cartoon, which then got me going back to read the comics. Um, in a lot of ways, I think the X-Men cartoon tied much more to the X-Men comics than the Batman animated series tied back to any currently running Batman comics. So this was something where, like, when I got into Days of Future Past, I was then I found out there was a comic book. I was like, whoa. There's a comic book of Days of... Okay, now I know what I need to go find at the comic book store. My third favorite in here um, was a series of episodes, and they were referred to it as the Dark Phoenix Saga. That's where Jean Grey, a member of the X-Men with telepathic and telekinetic powers, is possessed by something called the Phoenix. It's a cosmic entity with immense power. The X-Men have to try to save Jean and defeat the Phoenix before it destroys everything in its path. Basically, this becomes like X-Men in space, and they are doing all kinds of crazy stuff. That are, It's not just Earth-bound uh, mutant adventures, but there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on. There's aliens. There's all kinds of things. Um, and there's this, you know, she has this power that could destroy everything. Um, she started off as the Good Phoenix, and then it quickly turned to the Dark Phoenix. There is also a movie of the Dark Phoenix, but um, I might not say much about that one uh but that was again that was one of the other things is there was a dark phoenix comic so one of the really great things about this show was they they knew how to hook kids because i'd watch these cartoons i'd find out there was a comic i would go to the comic book store and start asking for it like where do i get these issues to i want to read more about the dark phoenix saga and then my runner-up for this one i'm going to put in one man's worth uh which ties into one of my favorite or is at least kind of a homage to one of my favorite stories of the X-Men comics when I was growing up and reading them. Uh, it is an episode of the series that deals with the consequences of time travel again. In the episode, they travel to an alternate future in which the mutant Magneto has taken over the world and rules it with an iron fist. The team has to work to prevent this future from coming to pass by altering the events of the past, but their actions have unintended consequences that threaten the very fabric of reality. Uh, one of the things that happens is Charles Xavier is not around, and that is why everything falls apart. There is an awesome, it is one of my absolute favorite uh, storylines in the X-Men comics and of any comics that I was uh, collecting at the time and even since then, is X-Men Age of Apocalypse, where because of some time travel uh, going on, uh, Charles Xavier is killed in the past, and he never... Uh, founds the X-Men. Instead, Magneto is the founder of the X-Men and is the leader of the X-Men. And because of changes in events, the mutant uh, Apocalypse, who is a major figure in the comics, ends up uh, taking over the world and, and basically runs everything. And so you, you see your X-Men characters that you're used to with several uh, pretty interesting twists in that comic series. And I always thought this was a fun episode that kind of ties into that as well. I'm always a big sucker for a tie-in and a big sucker for time travel and alternate histories. So that's, they pretty much had me hooked. Um, I didn't mention this, but the theme music for this one as well, I think I played it at the beginning of this episode. Um, awesome. 
for both of these shows, the X-Men one, anytime that comes on, I'm like, oh, God, I, I am like transported back to being a kid again and watching this show. And anytime that music comes on, I know exactly what it is. I am pumped. I am ready for something fun. So um, absolutely love these. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you all so much again for joining us for another year. Uh, 92 is coming to a close for us. 93 is on the way. We are looking forward to bringing you some more great stuff as we jump on into 1993. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this one. If you've got stuff you want to share, memories you want to share about either of these series, uh, Batman the Animated Series, the X-Men Animated Series, any of that stuff, please get in touch with us. We are on Twitter. We're on, um, uh, haven't used it much yet. We're on a Mastodon. Uh, we are on, sometimes on Instagram. Uh, we're on Facebook, but uh, we've also got email and you can leave voicemail through our website, 30podcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. I want to hear what some of your favorite episodes are from either of these shows. What are some memories you've got? Uh, what are some of the storylines that you loved? What are your favorite things about these because we love geeking out about this kind of stuff, and uh, we love to geek out with you. So, all right. Thank you, everybody. Um, be excellent to each other. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Uh, be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies. Go read some good comics. Go watch some good animated series. And we'll see you back here next time. Thank <laughs> you.